My city recently announced another round of lockdowns, which means one thing, more movies for me to watch. To that end, I want to watch and talk about a science fiction franchise that spans five decades and counting. You know, that is Alien. If you haven't seen Alien, you've probably heard of it or know of it. You might know the alien xenomorph monster or have seen the iconic chestburster scene. The movie Alien itself has spawned four direct sequels, three indirect sequels, and multiple video game franchises, comic books, and novels. This series bends different genres, pivoting from horror to action and everything in between. Instead of my prior episodes where myself and a guest have a conversation about movies, I wanted to take some time and take a deeper look at one of the most iconic franchises and explore some excellent movies and some not-so-great films. I'm going to split this mini-series up into four episodes. This episode is all about Alien and its direct sequel, Aliens. So, spoilers ahead as I take a closer look at this extraterrestrial franchise. Let's start off with the first film in this franchise. Alien is the story of the spaceship Nostromo and its seven-person crew. They are awakened from hypersleep in order to respond to an unknown distress signal on an uncharted planet, and in doing so, encounter a creature that gets set loose on the ship and hunts down the crew one by one. Our characters include Dallas, the ship's captain, Ash, the science officer, Lambert, the navigator, Ripley, the warrant officer, Kane, the executive officer, and two engineers named Parker and Brett. Additionally, there's Jones the cat and the ship's computer, Mother. The Nostromo is a commercial space tug ship owned by the company Whalen yutani During its journey returning to Earth, Mother receives a distress signal from an unknown source. Company protocol states that all unknown distress signals must be investigated. So after some discussion among the crew, they decide to follow the signal and land the Nostromo on an unknown planet. Kane... Dallas, and Lambert don spacesuits and investigate the surface. The signal leads them to a very derelict-looking crash spacecraft. Inside, they find skeletal remains of a larger humanoid creature. Through a hole in the ground, Kane discovers a large chamber with hundreds and hundreds of pod-like eggs. After poking one, the egg opens up and an insect-like creature wraps around his helmet and breaks through the face shield. Dallas, Kane, and Lambert rush back to the ship. Once there, Ripley will not let them back on, setting quarantine protocols. However, Science Officer Ash bypasses her and lets them back on the ship. Rushing to the med bay, Kane's face is completely wrapped up by this creature. Dallas tries to cut it off, but the creature's blood is pure acid, and it melts through the knife and the floor and burns Dallas in the process. Eventually, the creature just sort of dispatches on its own and is found dead. Kane awakens with no memory of what happened to him only just dreams of being suffocated. The crew decides to leave the planet and just go home. Once back in space, they have one final crew meal before returning to stasis for their journey. However, while eating, Kane starts choking and convulsing and collapses on the table. His chest rips open and a serpent-like creature screams and slithers away while the crew look on in horror, covered in Kane's blood. With Kane now dead, the remaining crew decide they need to hunt and kill the creature. Armed with nets, electric prods, and flamethrowers, they use the ship's motion sensors to track movement, only to find Jones the cat, who then scampers off. Brett, the engineer, is tasked with finding Jones, and separates the group only for a fully grown alien creature to capture him and kill him. Meanwhile, 
Dallas decides that the best way to kill the alien is to corner it into an airlock and evacuate it into space. So he climbs into the air ducts to give chase. The creature finds him and kills him first, leaving only Ripley, Ash, Parker, and Lambert as the surviving members of the crew. Ripley decides to access the computer Mother and discovers that Ash has a different company directive, to bring the alien creature to Earth no matter the cost. Bring back life form, priority one. All other priorities rescinded. Ripley then rushes to the crew's quarter and confronts Ash, who forcibly tries to choke her while a white liquid drips down his face. At the last second, Parker and Lambert come to the rescue and Parker smacks Ash's head clean off, revealing Ash to be an android. Once decapitated, Ash's head reveals that he was sent on the voyage to ensure the alien gets returned to Earth, and Ripley speculates it's for the company's weapons division. Parker burns Ash to the flamethrower, incinerating him. Parker, Lambert, and Ripley decide to self-destruct the Nostromo and escape on an escape vessel. Ripley goes to Mother to engage self-destruct, and Lambert and Parker gather supplies. While alone, the alien finds and kills both Parker and Lambert, leaving Ripley as the sole survivor. With self-destruct activated, Ripley tries to sneak her way to the escape pod and finds the alien between her and safety. Ripley quickly runs back to Mother to deactivate self-destruct, but fails. It's too late. She realizes then that the only way out is through the alien. Armed with a flamethrower in one hand and Jones the cat in the other, Ripley charges through the escape pod and barely escapes the alien. Once she's safely in the escape pod, away from the Stromo, she watches on as the ship blows up from afar, and she gets ready for her journey home. However, the alien creature has snuck on board as well. Ripley quietly moves over to his spacesuit, puts it on, and opens the air hatch. In a move of pure badassery, Ripley shoots the alien with a grappling hook, ejecting it into space and burning it on the exhaust engine, killing it. Ripley closes the hatch and puts herself and Jones into stasis to sleep for the journey home. Credits roll. Alien was released on May 25, 1979, and was written by Dan O'Bannon and directed by Ridley Scott. The film had a budget of $8 million and has made over $200 million worldwide. The movie was met with critical acclaim and even won the Academy Award for Best Visual Effects. In 1974, Dan O'Bannon wrote a college film called Dark Star. It was a science fiction space comedy directed by John Carpenter. In it was an alien that was clearly a spray-painted beach ball. After it was finished, O'Bannon came up with the idea to make a science fiction space horror film with a realistic alien creature, so he penned the first draft of what would become Alien. It was tough initially shopping it around, as he was a recent college grad with only one writing credit to his name. He had pitched this script as Jaws, but in space. Eventually, a friend of an executive read the draft and pushed it onto 20th Century Fox. They were initially hesitant, and then a little movie called Star Wars came out in 1977 and proved that science fiction space movies were popular with mainstream audiences. So, Fox moved forward with the movie. Early on, O'Bannon decided to focus on the alien creature first, and then write the character second. In searching for an alien design, O'Bannon discovered the works of H.R. Geiger, an artist that depicted cold relationships between humans and machines. 
There was a specific painting called the Necronom 4 that directly inspired O'Bannon in the writing process. He'd even stated that whenever he tried to visualize the alien, the only thing he could go back to was the Necronom 4. H.R. Geiger would in fact join the alien production team, designing everything from the sets to all the creatures. His cold and unsettling designs can be felt throughout. So after 20th Century Fox picked up the script, they needed a director. After going through a few, the studio chose Ridley Scott, who had one other film to his name. During the interview process, Ridley Scott committed to taking the film seriously and not treating it like a schlocky B-movie monster movie. Scott himself was inspired by H.G. Wells' War of the Worlds and 2001 A Space Odyssey, sparking intrigue in the science fiction genre. He was born in England during World War II, and it was his mother that raised him and his siblings, which he credits as to why he likes strong female characters. Ridley Scott would go on to direct the iconic Blade Runner, Gladiator, and recently The Martian, as well as two other movies in the Alien universe, Prometheus and Alien Covenant, which we'll get to in a later episode. For some background, the pod-like egg was made out of calf intestines. The facehugger creature was designed to be more insect-like, and when biopsied in the film, it was filled with shellfish and cow organs. The adult alien creature prop was actually a seven-foot-tall man in a suit. I can't describe how iconic the adult alien looks, because I won't do it any justice. Seriously, look it up. If you just Google the word alien, it'll show up in the results. It is simply one of the most iconic monster movie designs of all time. The alien face prop was covered in KY jelly to keep the alien creature looking wet and slimy. Additionally, after revealing that Ash is an android, the production team used milk, pasta, caviar, and glass marbles to simulate the android's innards. When Ash's head is decapitated and propped up on a table talking, they actually had the actor sit under the table, put his head above it, and gargle milk the entire time. So during the writing process, O'Bannon and Scott decided to keep the gender of the characters vague until casting. Only last names were used, which is why you get Kane and Lambert and Parker as characters. They wanted to write the characters as everyday people, describing them as just truckers in space. Now, all that said, Ridley Scott is the one who chose to cast Ellen Ripley as female, Ellen being her first name, revealed later on in Aliens. So Sigourney Weaver was the last person cast in the movie, in her actual first starring film role. And as far as I know, Ripley is the first female character in a horror movie to be the sole survivor at the end. Ripley herself is considered to be one of the most significant and iconic female characters in all of cinema, with her character in Alien and its sequel Aliens earning very high praise. Ripley is definitely one of the first badass women in all of cinema. Okay, so opinion time. This movie is excellent. The film holds up really well as a lot of practical effects were used. It might not be as scary by today's standards, but a lot of things about this movie are just unsettling and disturbing. The alien life cycle by impregnating hosts through the mouth and bursting out of chests was really cool and gross and disturbing. If you've never seen it, go look up the chestburster scene on YouTube. A quick fun fact about that, Ridley Scott actually never told the actors how much blood was going to come out. He used real pig's blood in the scene, so the actors are actually screaming in real life as they get covered in blood, and it was all real. And they only used one take, so what's in the movie 
is what actually happened. Uh, now, I do like the reveal that Ash was actually a company plant who will disregard the lives of the crew just to bring the alien creature home. Once it's revealed, a lot of his prior moments seem more sinister. You know, him not, uh, letting the people in back on the Nostromo after Ripley decides to quarantine them, he breaks protocol and lets them back on. This all actually serves his purpose of bringing the alien creature home, but upon first viewing, you just might think he's scared. It's really nice. It's really well done. The ship Nostromo itself feels real. They're just real people living and working together. The ship feels old and lived in and a more grimy look to it, as if it's been operating for years. I liked how the audience doesn't really know who the main character is until about halfway through, once Ripley learns Ash's directive. That's when she kind of gets the main focus. I do also like that they showed they, they did a show-as-little-as-possible approach to the alien creature. The monster itself has about four total minutes of screen time, and you never actually see its full body until the very last scene when it blows up. It's just, it's felt throughout the entire film despite being there for four minutes. It just adds tension throughout every single scene. I do have one minor criticism of the movie, and that's how did Ash and Wayland yutani know about the creatures? Am I missing something, or is this a plot hole? Uh, it's revealed that the company put Ash on as a science officer only two days before the start of the job. Ash started acting fishy almost immediately, before even interacting with the alien or knowing it was there. So did they know that the distress signal was going to come through? Did they know that the alien creatures would impregnate Kane? I do like that Ash served as a secondary villain, and his reveal was cool. And you can rewatch the movie with a different lens to sort of see what his motivations were throughout, and kind of how he acts a little fishy. Uh, for example, when he lets Kane and Lambert back on the ship despite uh, Ripley's objections to the matter. You know, all that being said, I do recommend this movie to anyone. It's a really nice horror sci-fi film. And if you like monster movies and you don't mind that it's from the 70s, I do recommend it. Give it a watch. It's really good. So, of course, it's a sequel Aliens would shake things up a little bit and turn this franchise from horror to something a little more fun. In the movie Alien, we saw what happened when one alien went against seven civilians on a spaceship. The sequel Aliens from 1986 poses the question, what if we had a lot more aliens and threw them against a squadron of highly trained marines? Aliens takes the premise of the first movie and juices it up to a sci-fi action flick. After the success of Alien, 20th Century Fox had agreed to plan a sequel. However, some staff turnover at the studio led to the project being shelved. It wasn't until a new studio head came along who was open to the idea that a sequel began production. Upon reading the script for the yet-unreleased The Terminator, the studio knew they wanted the same writer, James Cameron, who had also directed The Terminator as well. Once The Terminator was released, Cameron was then tasked with directing Aliens 2. It's been 57 years. Ellen Ripley and Jones the Cat have been drifting in stasis this entire time. A deep space salvage team operated by Wayland yutani discovers her and brings her to Earth. In the hospital recovering, Ripley is introduced to Carter J. Burke, 
a young Wayland-Yutani executive that catches her up on the last 57 years, including that Ripley's daughter has since passed away. She is taken to speak with the Wayland-Yutani board in a conference room, where she relays exactly what happened on the Nostromo, how the alien creature boarded the ship, murdered her crewmates, and how she had to blow up the ship to escape. The board is less than convinced and reprimands her for destroying company property. They reveal the planet where the Nostromo originally encountered the alien eggs is now called LV-426. It was deemed uninhabited and then colonized. The new colony is called Hadley's Hope. Dejected, she is told that Wayland yutani has now lost all contact with Hadley's Hope, and so they're sending a marine squadron to investigate. Lieutenant Gorman and Carter Burke convince Ripley to join them in their expedition. Ripley only agrees to return to LV-426 so long as the Marines promise to completely exterminate all alien creatures there. Ripley boards the spaceship Sulaco and is introduced to the Marine Squadron. There's honestly too many to name here without confusing everyone, but just know that the main characters are Hicks, the Corporal, Gorman, the Lieutenant, he's the one in charge, and Vasquez, who is a heavy weapons carrier, Bishop, an android, and joining them is Carter Burke as the Whalen yutani representative. It's immediately apparent with Ripley's interactions with the squadron that they all have a strong sense of camaraderie. There's a scene where Bishop the android plays the knife game on one of the Marines' hands, much to Ripley's ire. Ripley has a deep distrust of androids, given her past experiences with Ash, who tried to murder her. Bishop reassures her that he is a newer and better model and is incapable of harming humans. Ripley debriefs the Marine squadron on what they may face, describing the alien creature. The Marines brush off her warnings and don't take her seriously. Afterwards, Ripley heads to the docking bay in the Sulaco to help load the dropship by donning a large yellow exosuit used to haul heavy equipment. Once the Sulaco arrives at LV-426, the dropship sets the team down at the Hadley's Hope, which is completely deserted. As the team, including Ripley, walk around the settlement, they see signs of fight and struggle, but there are no bodies to be found and acid burns marking the floors. They eventually make their way to the medical lab, where they find two of the facehuggers in containment tanks, clearly having been captured and observed. A sound clangs in the room, and the team finds a sole survivor, a young girl nicknamed Newt, who Ripley immediately takes a caring for. Using the computers on site, the Marines discover all the colonists are grouped beneath the fusion-powered atmosphere processing station. The Marines take an armored personnel carrier vehicle to the processing station to try to find the colonists. Once at the station, the team descends the levels of the station and discover an entry into an alien hive. They find all the colonists are cocooned, serving as hosts for new alien eggs. One colonist wakes up and a creature immediately bursts out of the colonist's chest. The marines open fire on the creature, killing it. However, in the process, they waken all the fully grown aliens who were dormant in the ceiling and walls. These aliens kill and capture some of the marine squadron and Lieutenant Gorman collapses under pressure and fails to direct them back to the APC. Ripley, who is with Lieutenant Gorman on the APC, takes over the comms and charters the vehicle into the atmosphere station 
to rescue the living members of the Marine Squadron, who composes of Hicks, Gorman, and Vasquez. Ripley states that they need to simply bomb the entire colony to destroy the alien creatures. Hicks, who is now taking over command from Gorman, orders the dropship to come pick them up and take them back to the Sulaco. Once the dropship is in the air, a stowaway alien kills the pilot and the dropship crashes into the atmosphere processing plant and explodes. It'll be 17 days before another team can come and rescue them. It is at this point that Burke reveals to Ripley that it was in fact he who ordered the colonists to LV-426 and told them to study the alien creatures in order to harvest the alien eggs for biological weapons. Burke believes that he will get super rich off this plan. As Ripley is about to physically fight him, the android bishop interrupts them to inform them that the dropship crashed, damaged the atmosphere station, and it will soon explode. The remaining survivors are Ripley, Newt, Bishop, Burke, and the Marines Gorman, Hicks, and Vasquez. Bishop states that they only have four hours to escape. He then leaves to locate the colony's transmitter so he can remote control the remaining dropship from the Sulaco to pick up the team. The remainers hang out and wait for him. After some bonding, Newt and Ripley fall asleep in the med lab. When they wake up, they discover the two contained facehuggers have been released from their containment tanks. Thinking fast, Ripley triggers the fire alarm, alerting Hicks and Vasquez, who rescue them, blowing the facehuggers to smithereens in the process. Ripley once again confronts Burke, believing that he intended for the facehuggers to impregnate Ripley and Newt in order to smuggle the aliens back to Earth. As a fight between them breaks out, suddenly all the power is cut and the alien creatures swarm the remaining team from the ceiling. While running, Burke separates himself from the others, but is cornered by an alien and killed. Vasquez and Gorman sacrifice themselves to hold off the alien swarm chasing the remaining team. While running, Newt falls into a flooded tunnel and is captured by an alien. Hicks and Ripley reach the new designated spot for the dropship that Bishop is now piloting. Having seen Newt get dragged away, Ripley refuses to abandon her. She arms herself with an assault rifle and a flamethrower, and the dropship returns her to the atmosphere processing plant, the site of the alien hive. Ripley, by herself, descends into the hive and finds Newt cocooned on the wall. Ripley rips the little girl out of the wall and carries her in one arm with a gun in the other. The two of them discover the egg chamber with a large alien queen laying massive amounts of these eggs. Staring in disbelief, Ripley opens fire with the flamethrower, destroying all of the eggs. The giant alien queen, who is over 15 feet tall, is enraged and chases Ripley and Newt back to the dropship. They make it on in time to watch the processing plant and the entire colony explode. The dropship takes them back to, into space and into the cargo bay of the Sulaco. The four remaining survivors leave the dropship, but they aren't alone. The alien queen had stowed away in the landing gear of the dropship. The queen rips Bishop completely in half. Newt hides in the ducts just below a metal grate and the queen chases her. Hicks, who is hurt before getting on the dropship, is completely useless. Ripley runs through the cargo bay and climbs into one of the yellow exosuits. Get away from her, you bitch! She yells 
as she gets into a fist fight with the alien queen. With the help of Bishop's upper half, Ripley drops the queen into an airlock and sends it into space, killing it. Ripley, Newt, the damaged Bishop, and the injured Hicks all enter cryosleep for the safe journey back to Earth. Cue credits. Aliens was released on July 18, 1986 on a budget of $18 million and made roughly $183 million in its initial box office run. As I mentioned in the opening, the initial production was off to a rocky start, with different studio heads pushing off the movie. When they did eventually settle on James Cameron, it got even rockier. Filming was done in a studio in England, and The Terminator had not been released in the UK yet. Many of the crew did not really trust James Cameron to create a worthwhile sequel, and they even refused to watch The Terminator to see if he was even capable. The crew were loyal to Ridley Scott and didn't really know why a sequel had to be made. James Cameron himself considers Alien to be a perfect film, and sold that he wanted Aliens to be a roller coaster compared to Alien as a haunted house. James Cameron often clashed with many of the crew members, including the cinematographer and assistant director. Neither of them respected James Cameron's vision for the film, both literally and figuratively, and after a stressful production, they were fired mid-shoot. The relationship between Cameron and the crew was so sour that he held a total staff meeting and said, This has been a long and difficult shoot, fraught by many problems. But the one thing that kept me going through it all was a certain knowledge that one day I would drive out the gate of Pinewood Studios and never come back, and that you sorry bastards would still be here. So this time around, the alien creatures were played by ballerinas and dancers who could be more flexible. The actor, playing Vasquez, said that she had a hard time being scared of the aliens because she just really liked the actors under the suits. A significant amount of practical effects were used. The face huggers were made out of a wind-up toy that allowed the legs to move independently. The alien queen was built to scale, so a 15-foot practical model was used that required several people to puppet the creature. The alien queen was completely shot in camera, so no digital effects were used. The yellow exosuit that Ripley donned in the final battle was held up by a crane and was completely immobile and required several people to operate as well. In order to show the great chemistry between the Marines and betray the strong sense of camaraderie, Cameron actually shot the introduction scenes at the very end of the shoot so all the actors would know each other. Sigourney Weaver was initially very hesitant to return. It wasn't after James Cameron sent her the script that she mildly considered portraying Ripley again. James Cameron had to convince her that Aliens was not just trying to make money, uh, it was its own thing. She was paid $1 million and a share of the movie's profits to return, which at the time was quite unheard of for an actress. Whenever a cast member had an on-screen death, she would send a bouquet of flowers to that actor that day. Ripley was written to be more maternal in this movie, which included the decision for her to have a deceased daughter and have her care for the character of Newt. There is a picture of Ripley's daughter as an older woman. That was actually a picture of Sigourney Weaver's real-life actual mother. The movie's release was met with critical acclaim and positive reviews. There is much consideration if Aliens would be a good enough sequel to the very popular Alien, and most critics agreed that it delivered on that promise. There were three things that stood out about the movie especially. Sigourney Weaver's portrayal of Ripley, the special and practical effects used, 
and the set design. Sigourney Weaver was nominated at the Academy Awards for Best Actress for Aliens, which at the time was a first for an actress from a science fiction movie. The film also won the Academy Award for Best Sound Effects and Best Visual Effects. It also received nominations for Best Score, Best Art Direction, Best Editing, and Best Sound. Aliens is simply considered one of the best science fictions of the 1980s and one of the best direct sequels ever. James Cameron would go on to direct two of the highest grossing movies of all time, Titanic and Avatar. Ripley, the character, was very positively compared to contemporary male action heroes like John Rambo. So, time for my opinion. Similarly to the first movie, I think Aliens is great. I really like that they didn't try to do just Alien again, and instead focused on making something new and something completely different. There are still some horror elements to it, but the focus is clearly on developing Ripley and having action. I can only imagine what audiences thought in the 1980s watching this movie wondering if an alien could kill a marine and then seeing it on screen. It's honestly just really cool and fun to watch. The one-liners in this movie are great. I did mention Ripley's iconic get away from her you bitch line, but that isn't the only one-liner. Plenty of the marines have great quips and lines that just belong in an action movie. Introducing the egg-laying alien queen was a really cool addition, but I also really like how the movie just doesn't try to world-build or provide lore. It's just a movie about space marines shooting aliens and Ripley killing a bigger alien, and I really like that. Later movies in this franchise would make the mistake of developing convoluted lore, but we'll get into that later. There are some more additional themes that we could digest here. Uh, one I mentioned already is motherhood, uh, but I think I'd let the movie speak for itself. Just watch it. Ripley's care for Newt and the foil of having an alien queen be a quote-unquote mother really just shows off what I'm talking about. In the end, I'd definitely recommend this to anyone, especially if you like the first Alien. I don't necessarily think you have to see Alien to appreciate aliens. The sets and costumes all look really cool and the plot's very easily digestible. You can get caught up really quickly. Definitely give it a watch. So this was a first episode in a miniseries retrospective on the Alien franchise. Both really great movies that I fully recommend. Next time, we'll talk about two other direct sequels, Alien 3 and Alien Resurrection. I'm not really sure when that episode will come out, but I'm going to try to keep a two-week schedule so something will come out shortly. Please find me on Twitter at MovieArista for any comments. Let me know if you liked it, if you hated it, anything. Please hit me up and I can try to apply constructive criticism. I hope you really enjoyed this episode. Uh, I don't really know how to end this, so that's it. Peace out. Have a good day.